I do think we have to, all of us as companies, as retailers, as consumers, stay in close communication and and maintain that engagement so that we can continue to learn from each other and continue to help each other kind of be successful during this time. Why are Nike's Chunky Dunky sneakers selling for $6,000 on eBay? How did Mickey Mouse find his way onto a face mask? Exactly how did all that Stranger Things gear land in your shopping cart? We explore what makes you click buy on the products that stand out above the rest, thanks to a little thing called brand licensing. Welcome to the Licensing Mixtape, a podcast by License Global. Hello, and welcome to the Licensing Mixtape. I'm B.B. Wardak, content editor at License Global, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Nancy Merritt. Nancy is a preeminent thought leader in e-commerce, retail, online solutions, and social media. She's also the senior manager of global relationships at OPSEC Security, a global leader in protecting, authenticating, and enhancing brands. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome. Hi, Bibi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So thrilled to have you, Nancy. You, you're just a wealth of knowledge and information. And I think today's discussion is going to be so helpful and so key to our listeners. Before we get started, can you please give our listeners a brief background on OPSEC security and your work in brand protection and licensing management? Yeah, so OPSEC security has been around for 40 years. I'd like to say I have not been in the business for that long. <laughs> just but <laughs> But, you know, we really believe in kind of the connection of online and offline in terms of brand protection and servicing. And so we do everything from, you know, brand protection, anti-counterfeiting, anti-piracy in the digital space and including like fraud, malware, phishing attacks, all of that stuff. But also we look at product authentication, royalty tracking, licensing management. So there's just sort of a whole suite of things that we have been doing for a really long time. And I, I think, of course, my opinion will be biased, but doing really well. But we really want to bridge that online and offline gap. So there's so many things going on, as I know we're going to get into in the online world and in the offline world. You know, we believe that we're experts in the space. That's that's where we live and breathe. I'm more in the brand protection and online world. So that's the stuff that I love to, to talk about and that I'm excited we're going to get into. What an incredibly valuable service. And yes, we are going to touch on all of those key topics. Nancy, I think today's discussion is so necessary. It's so vital. It's so important, as I said earlier, because both OPSEC Security and Licensed Global have released timely and relevant data-driven studies around COVID-19's tremendous impact on business. And both reports provide like a really necessary and much needed insight into today's incredibly uncertain climate. So hopefully we'll be able in this chat today to compare notes and bring together some of the larger insights and findings from both of our reports and provide like kind of a larger mosaic of the state of business and what's yet to come. So in the Licensed Global Insights COVID-19 What Happens Next survey, we surveyed all facets of the licensing industry to uncover how the licensing industry has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, how our colleagues are responding, and what is expected in the year ahead for the business of brand licensing. Can you tell our listeners a bit about OPSEC's insightful report entitled Navigating the New Normal Online and some of your report's more significant findings? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's funny, I've I've read the report probably, I don't know, five or six times, and I feel like each time 
something new sort of sticks out to me. And so certainly there are a lot of, of stats and percentages and things, and I won't rattle them all off. We hope that people will go and read both both of our reports. But the things that I thought were interesting, so we surveyed 2,600 um, global consumers online. And what came out of that are some, A, some things we already know, right? Online activity in general has increased, whether it's online shopping, um, what you know, kinds of things people are buying, certainly streaming, and that includes pirated content as well. And so none of that was a surprise. I think, you know, we knew it was going to increase, but it sort of increased even more with COVID. But what I think was interesting um, in a couple of the findings are, one, people are really becoming a little bit desensitized to some of the threats with online. They either have been a victim of a data breach um, or they expect to be like they just sort of know what's going to happen at one point or another. Um, and they're concerned about identity theft and credit card fraud. We've seen that some consumers have already fallen victim to buying a fake product without knowing it. And there's increases in phishing and email scams as well. So with that increase in general activity, all of those risks increase in tandem. And then the other piece that sort of stood out for me was who consumers think is responsible, right? Or um, should be keeping them safe. And the majority of consumers do feel that the brands really should be the ones helping to keep them safe from these threats. Uh, but there was also kind of a, a pretty interesting group of consumers who felt that they should really keep themselves safe. But in order to do that, the brands have to give them the information and the education they need to be able to know what to look for and what to be wary of. Absolutely. And safety is so incredibly important in today's climate because so many consumers, you know, they're shopping online and it's growing at a rate that's just astronomical. So in Licensed Global Study, we found that sales was the area most impacted by the pandemic in 2020 among 71% of colleagues. 45% of our respondents said that they were responding to the changes at retail by investing in e-commerce solutions. So we know e-commerce is really, really the area of focus. Uh, how has e-commerce changed this year and what do you foresee 2020 will bring in in terms of e-commerce? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest changes that we've seen is the types of things that people are buying, right? So before it was apparel, footwear, kind of luxury goods, using that discretionary income for the fun things. Whereas because of COVID, what's changed this year is the type of things people are buying online. It certainly lean more towards grocery products, um, right? A lot more grocery delivery. Those staples that we knew back several months ago were hard to find and people were going online to find paper goods, toilet paper. Um, and then it started going towards the PPE as people were looking for protection. So I think some of that has leveled out a little bit. And while we saw that drop in apparel, footwear, jewelry, accessories, that kind of thing, I think you know, that will level out some. We're going into the holidays, so that's going to be interesting to see how that changes. Um, and then for 2021, I, I think it's probably going to, again, level some, but continue. I think as people sort of start adopting those behaviors, particularly ones who hadn't been doing it previously, we expect and we see in our report that they plan to continue that behavior going forward once they get comfortable with it and they actually maybe even start to enjoy or like, oh, I can get my groceries delivered. No need to go to the grocery store. It's much more convenient. So I think those things will continue and just general e-commerce behavior and retail of all kinds 
will continue. I think we're going to see less and less people going to brick and mortar stores, even if they're open and available. 2020 has ushered in so many changes and yeah. con- convenient options for, like you said, groceries with Instacart and ship. And like you mentioned, toilet paper, like I would walk into so many stores, you know, in, in our area here in Los Angeles, our major grocery stores, they were sold out, I'm sure yep. in your in your area too. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. So we would go into whether it was Target or like a big box retailer, whether it was just a grocery store, we didn't have those things. So what our report found, and this aligns with what you and I have experienced too in our real lives, is there's a major boom in third-party marketplaces like Amazon, as well as social commerce. What advice would you give businesses for taking full advantage of e-commerce today? And are there any best practices you can recommend to to brands and licensors, licensees, or retailers, anyone who's listening to today's podcast, to really take advantage of e-commerce, social commerce, and third-party marketplaces like Amazon? Yeah, I think, so initially, in in general e-commerce, it's, you know, important to have some kind of presence depending on what your business is right so even when you look at things like smaller businesses and maybe they don't have a full operation of being able to order online ship all of that stuff or some have kind of had to rush into it based on what's happened this year and that's really hard that's a hard thing to do because having a whole e-commerce presence and having it work well takes time uh, and then it takes time to scale so i think you know if you've been rushed into it you've probably learned a few things now in the last few months but also taking some steps to see okay what do we need to adjust but just having that presence whether it's communicating to your customers via email letting them know, you know, that you're aware that changes need to happen or what you are looking at or that you are, you know, looking to kind of adjust to all of these things that are going on in 2020 and then listening to your consumers. So it's reaching out or finding a way probably through social to engage with consumers to say, what do you need from us? Because they're the ones, right, that are going to tell you. Right. And so making those adjustments as you can, because it is it is tough to scale and to scale quickly. And so even just a small presence of being like, hey, we're here, here maybe some minimal things that that your business can do for e-commerce. Maybe it doesn't need to be a full suite yet, but kind of focusing on what are the things that you can do now and then mapping out that plan for what that's going to look like over the next, you know, several months into the next year. You're 100% right. Listening to consumers, um, engaging with consumers, it's so big. Um, And speaking of like engagement with consumers, social commerce is is huge right now because it kind of has to be, right? It's, It's at the forefront of where we can reach our consumers. So our survey found that social media is the number one channel licensing professionals are leveraging to engage their consumers set at 75% of respondents saying social media is the way that they're reaching their consumers. The second highest one was their websites, but predominantly social media is where everyone's turning to. And they most commonly use Facebook at 85%. And Instagram at 83%. Obviously, those are both owned by Facebook, but that's the the primary modes of engagement. So Nancy, how has COVID-19 affected social media usage among consumers? And how can companies and brands best leverage social media in 2021 and beyond? So I, I love the social media topic. I think it's so fascinating, the level of activity and the level at which people engage in social media platforms, and not just one, but multiple, right? So We're looking right now at, I think the last stat that I saw was over 3 billion active social media users 
globally, which is huge, right? (laughs) That's huge. So now you've got 3 billion people, and most of those have, I think, an average of over seven social media accounts, which kind of blows my mind because I'm like, I can barely manage two. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But I think I'm kind of an outlier probably. So, you know, there's 3 billion people. They've got YouTube and TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and, you know, Snapchat. And so, that's just a, a lot of activity and a lot of, of movement that really you, you just cannot ignore. And now, obviously, social media is no longer just there for our entertainment. That's really how it started, right? It was for entertainment and connection. But now it is pushing a lot of e-commerce. And I think that trend is going to continue. So whether you have a very formal, say, like Facebook marketplace that is specific to, you know, an e-commerce marketplace like an Amazon or an eBay to sell products, you also have people individually or collectively using um, social media to push products, right? And so whether they're redirecting to a particular website and brands are redirecting and using that social media engagement to highlight particular promotions or particular products. So I think all of that, you know, we really have to pay attention to. And again, with that comes some added risk. Our study kind of found that social media users are more wary of purchasing products they find through social media versus going direct to, say, an Amazon or eBay or another marketplace. That's very interesting. And like you said, this is the time that brands cannot afford to ignore social media. And all the platforms that you named mentioned in our report were also um, being leveraged by licensors, licensees, retailers, manufacturers to, to really connect and engage with customers. This is where the market is, essentially. And speaking of social media, this year in general, during lockdown, TikTok is so big. Yeah. All, <laughs> you know, like short of all the, the fun little TikTok dances and things that we we all like kind of like, oh, OK. I mean, it's really an opportunity for brands to connect and close sales. So how significant is the growing prevalence of TikTok now? Nancy, in which platforms do you think will be crucial for consumer engagement next year? Yeah, so I the TikTok thing fascinates me, and I've been um, trying to spend more time kind of learning about it. Again, I feel like I'm always behind the times when it comes with the trendy stuff. I have to ask my my teenage niece and nephew <laughs> um, how half of these things work, right? And um, so I have been actually spending more time kind of looking at TikTok, and you know they're growing exponentially. It's interesting if you look at that. I've talked about this in some of my other talks about the Internet Minute right? What happens in an internet minute. And in 2019, TikTok wasn't even on the radar. It was all about Instagram and YouTube and Snapchat. And they throw out all these big numbers of like what the the usage was. And TikTok suddenly now is on that grid, right? Is on the map for for 2020. So that just kind of shows you how a social media platform, even though it's been around actually for a few years, was not really kind of at the forefront or very trendy. And then boom, something like this happens. And now it's all the rage. And part of that is because, right, we're locked down. um, We're bored. We have a lot more time to spend. (laughs) And one person starts it. and, And that's all it takes to kind of ignite the fire. Interestingly enough, when I woke up this morning, and I don't, I don't know how many people do this, but you know, like you grab your phone and you read the headlines, right? Yeah. And um, one of the headlines was about TikTok and like pushing sort of, you know, counterfeit or people kind of like doing videos about their counterfeit products, like showcasing, hey, look at this cool bag I got or this cool shirt I got. And it's not even the real thing. And again, that's kind of my world. And so I don't want to focus on the negative so much because there is a lot of positive, I think, that comes out of these platforms. But again, the point being, anytime you grow 
period in a general sense and you grow consumers and usage and engagement, then you increase risk. And so we have to figure out what that balance is. And so in terms of 2021, I think TikTok's going to continue to grow. Facebook and Instagram and those that we've seen that that you noted are are, you know, high engagement are going to continue. Who knows, right? Crystal ball what maybe a new platform will be. I wish I wish I knew um or could think it up myself, but um yeah, I I think TikTok is definitely one we've got to pay attention to, but not um, at the sacrifice of kind of not paying attention to the others as well. We just need to add it to the mix of things to keep track of. You're absolutely right. When something's new and it just kind of takes off and booms off the way TikTok did, there are pain points there in, in counterfeit is certainly one of those concerns. So you're absolutely right. And OPSEC is really, you know, the leader and, and, and anyone who has concerns in that area should turn to OPSEC and kind of um, look for some some guidance and some help and, and some insight into how to navigate those waters because it, it they, they are murky waters and that happens with all platforms that are new as we know. So Nancy, with store closures, lockdown measures, and you know, like I know the UK just had their lockdown measures reinstituted just this week with so much going on. 2020 has really brought like the biggest disruption to retail in modern history, and it's really altered consumer behavior in major ways across everything. In our report in Licensed Global Insights, we found 60% of industry professionals say that they anticipate reduced consumer spending, and they overwhelmingly identified consumer behavior as a key challenge in 2021. So we know we really have to like think about the consumer. We really have to think about uh, how to like properly engage, how to navigate that challenge and mitigate a lot of those issues. What are some of the more notable changes in consumer behavior brought on by this pandemic in 2020? And how can retailers and brands, licensors, licensees, everyone in general, business in general, adapt to these changes? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier on, right, about just general consumer behavior changing in terms of the types of things that they're buying. And again, when economies shift um, and people lose jobs, then they spend their discretionary income if they still have it very differently. And so we see those those types of categories, apparel, footwear, um, going down a little bit. And as we talked about grocery and things going up, the other, I think, big thing that you can't can't ignore in terms of the changes are the PPE products, right? Particularly masks. So one of, I think, the, the great examples of the way some brands have been able to adapt, and again, it might not apply to all brands and retailers, but you know, it started out like talking about masks and, you know, again, not a political statement, but a health and safety issue. But clearly, a lot of people were being encouraged and were going out to buy masks. And in the beginning, you couldn't find them because all that was available were sort of the standard, you know, medical masks or disposable masks that you you would see in the supply chain. But now a lot of brands have shifted to use them as an opportunity, right? So a couple of things, you look at things like maker marketplaces where folks who have a skill set, you know, Etsy was really encouraging their their sellers and artists, as they refer to them, to sew and create masks and sell right. them on their platform, as long as they were being very careful about not making right medical claims of any kind. But you've also seen a ton of retailers and brands do the same thing. I mean, the NFL, you can go out and get a mask for, you know, for your favorite sports team. And that's true of, of other sports um, agencies as well. And, you know, retailers like Athleta or Gap or whatever, I mean, you name it, and you see them kind of everywhere you go. And I think that's a great example of adding adaptation. Now, again, that maybe doesn't apply. Not everyone can make a mask or maybe they can. I don't know. But I think also it's adapting in terms of being visible and communicating with your consumers. I think consumers are really looking to understand what are retailers doing, whether it's, 
you know, if the stores are open, what are they doing? How are they keeping people safe? And and again, going back to that listening to consumers, what are they looking for? And it may be as simple as asking those questions. What do you need from us? I mean, we're, there's a lot of information out there, but I think you have to kind of get to the crux of what is your base looking for and then figure out how to adapt. And that adaptability is hard because sometimes you don't know until after the fact, and then you've got to, you know, scramble to do that. But I think now, again, what we've learned is we know more changes are probably coming coming. Um, there's still adaptations to be made based on what we're learning over the last few months and probably going into the holiday season as well. Right. There's certainly some things we need to kind of anticipate and be thinking about as we roll into the end of this year and the beginning of 2021. You know, we, we've covered this here at License Global where the apparel industry in particular, although high fashion and, you know, like discretionary income is limited. So people aren't really necessarily spending on things that are really expensive, but yeah. ca- casual wear, you know, we're all working from home we're doing zoom calls and microsoft teams calls and, and by my sweats today that <laughs> no one can see this being a podcast for which i'm grateful right that's the, that's one of the great benefits of doing a, a pod, an audio podcast is we have you know we can rock our sweats on the bottom half especially if we you know if we want to um but in our survey we asked our respondents in 2021 what product categories are you going to focus on and in 2020 what we found was uh homewares and and uh content homewares publishing kids content those those categories did exceedingly well but for 2021 our respondents said we want to focus on apparel accessories and footwear which like you very keenly mentioned does include face masks and face mask programs and PPE items like that. And the next big category was toys and games. And that's so in 2021, they're like, we're going to go back to this. This is what we're going to focus on next year to mitigate our losses and kind of capture consumer dollars. You, you talked about this too. So despite the sizable sales dips and the limited discretionary income among consumers this year, what opportunities do you foresee in the year ahead? This is such a hard question. I know. I know it is. <laughs> it is because again, I need that crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're asking you to tap into your like psychic skills here. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, one thing that sort of comes to mind for me in thinking about this is looking at technology as well, right? So again, not knowing what's going to happen, but still at some level, people are, um, as you said, working from home, schooling from home. um, And and if by chance other countries or cities besides London go into a second wave of lockdowns, that's going to continue to become important. And so I think focusing on what those opportunities are, whether it's, you know, educational products, you know, streaming sites, like any of that kind of technology-based stuff, I think is going to be really important. And then I think, you know, I don't know, I think people are maybe going to focus on, um, again, so sort of more health-related products. Absolutely. Um, and, and that could run the gamut. I mean, I think about things like air purifiers and stuff that people talk about that, right, or supplements. I mean, I don't even know, but I do think there's going to be a focus on more health and safety protection protection of, of some kind. And that and that could be whether it's in air or things that we um, ingest, take into our bodies. So I, I don't I don't know. Like that's kind of what what I'm thinking, leaning towards. And and again, like you talked about, I mean, people are working from home, so they're buying clothing less. And I think part of that is, you know, we don't have as many places to wear it. So it's like, why spend money on that when you could focus on other things? Right. And I do think for folks that have kids at home and stuff, focusing on 
the toys and games, I mean, that's still going to be important because you got to keep people entertained. And that's maybe another piece that we should be focusing on as well as entertainment. And, and what does entertainment look like? Whether it's, again, digital entertainment, which we've seen a lot of uptick in, or is it still some type of physical entertainment that we can use? Entertainment's been so disrupted in 2020, right? With the film yeah. industry, um, everyone's like kind of turning to Netflix and like Tiger King, you know, all well, of those. <laughs> I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, think I we went all... through that one early. I think yeah. I've started about, I don't know, 20 seasons of different shows and now I've forgotten what's what. And now, you know, we have to wait. So I don't know if that will speed up too. I think it'll be interesting, right, to see how some of those companies like Netflix and Amazon Prime respond to that piece of it. Absolutely. And we've seen uh, licensing programs born out of Tiger King, like Cat Oh, Carol. I'm sure. Right. Carol Baskin had a licensing program. Cobra Kai, which is one of my favorites uh, mm-hmm. that I've been watching because I'm a, like a nostalgic karate kid fan from yeah. back in the day. Um, great, great licensing programs. But the film industry kind of really had to pivot and turn to streaming and change. And that industry was one of the biggest rocked by 2020. Speaking of disruption in 2020, in our survey, what we found surveying all of our respondents was that the supply chain disruption was huge in 2020. And that that spans all industries, not just film, content, publishing, it spanned everyone. It was the most pervasive problem, right? Because of that problem. So what we found was that 62% of licensors, licensees, licensing agents reported that they had either had to renegotiate one or more licensing contracts to offset the challenges and the issues related to the supply chain. So there's so much going on there behind the scenes, like kind of under the undercurrent of what's happening with, with all of our industry um, scrambling to make things happen. What and, and what we found was predominantly they're extending their delivery dates. So they're talking, sure. they're, they're leveraging those partnerships and they're kind of like, they're trying to like say, Hey, either we, can we extend our delivery dates, maybe work with a partner to, and a manufacturer to get ahead of the line and get our, our orders fulfilled sooner than other people. How can we like get around this supply chain disruption? Can you speak Nancy to the supply chain challenges this year and how they impacted business as a whole and the fallout that's going to affect companies this time next year? Yeah. I, you know, the supply chain thing- is so interesting and I I feel like it has such a ripple effect. So once it kind of starts and we see those shortages and then sort of the resulting delays, right, in shipments, then it's it's really hard to catch up. And I think businesses honestly have done as, as good of a job possibly as they can do. But you see it in most of the retailers, whether it's on their website or you order something, you see it pretty much on every website, right? It's like um, delivery times may be delayed. And and I've seen that even across, you know, again, grocery delivery. So, you know, when it's not local, say like meal kit delivery types of things. So there's always sort of now this caveat of, hey, this could be longer than we anticipate. And so I think that's going to be that's going to be tough. And so we talked early on right about like the toilet paper. I mean, that was a huge supply chain issue that no one really saw coming. And I think some people are still kind of <laughs> scratching their heads like, why was that a thing? Um right. You know, but it was a thing. And so, yeah, some of those things you just can't foresee coming and then they happen and look how long it took. Right. It was quite a few, um, 
maybe not months, but several weeks before some places were able to kind of catch up. And then the resulting response was, okay, now we're going to ration this out, right? Like now that we have some supply back in the stores, you can't just, you know, take as many or unlimited um, quantities as you want. We're going to have to limit it. And so I think that's going to continue going forward, right? In, in certain things like that, hard goods, we're going to have to still limit, particularly if, again, if we anticipate potentially a second round of lockdown, we're going to have to limit quantities and sort of maintain that. Um, what the next big thing will be, I don't know. Hopefully some of the panic stuff maybe is if we've gone through it one round, won't be so bad the next round. Um, but it, it's hard to say. I think there are certain people that will always respond in that way. And so for businesses, it's, you know, I think, again, it's about communication is, is a big piece of it. There's only so much that they can control. So, again, communicating, having that engagement with your consumers and saying, look, you know, we're doing everything that we can. Um, here's what you can expect from us. You know, here's what we're trying to do and kind of keeping that line of communication open in whatever way is going to be the broadest reach, I think, is going to be really important. And speaking of retail, retail's on everyone's mind. Brick and mortar stores remain closed in many parts of the world um, where they need to be. And although some storefronts have opened, we sh we're still seeing, you know, kind of a little bit of a lull in terms of retail and retail sales. And it's going to take time, obviously, understandably. If the pandemic persists at its current severity, what do you see retail looking like in 2021? And how can brands, retailers, manufacturers get ahead of the curve to find success at retail next year? Yeah, so so look, retail's taken such a hard hit as as we've talked about. And I think unfortunately, um, a lot of brick and mortar stores are not going to survive and already haven't survived what's kind of happened. And so for those that have or continuing to survive, and, and look, there are a few that are thriving. And so learning from those and kind of looking at what they're doing and what's worked is going to be important. But I do think, as we've talked about, e-commerce is going to continue. I do think people um, are going to continue to use online for shopping, you know, across all kinds of categories, as we've talked about. Those brick and mortar stores need to continue to kind of pay attention to that. And whether it's increasing their level of like curbside pickup, right, or right. Local, local delivery, any of those kinds of things, or maybe it's looking at having particular promotions or sales that maybe you can only get at the brick and mortar store, but still offering it in a way that people are comfortable. And the same thing with online, maybe there's certain things you can only get online. So it sort of drives people in one direction or another versus making everything available both places. But yeah, I think those those kind of adaptations like we talked about adapting earlier as well of, you know, okay, here's the brick and mortar store. What's the local community surrounding it? If we want to continue to maintain that, how do we drive people there or at least maintain what we have and keeping people comfortable going into storefronts or approaching storefronts that are open and available? I think despite everything that we've seen and everything that we've endured, one thing we talk about in the licensing industry is that we're such a resilient industry. We're, yeah. a, resi we're a resilient consumer base. We're a resilient, like the business industry in general, we're going to get through this. It's going to take time. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of pain points, but we're going to get through this. And 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 one way or another, you know, with, with reports like your report and our report, I think our colleagues and the business community at large can really learn, gain some valuable insights and see kind of how they can work through 2021. It's going to be a test. It's going to be a learning curve for, for yeah. all of us, right? <laughs> yeah, it already has been, right, to, up to this point, and it will continue to be. I agree completely.
A hundred percent. Well, Nancy, you have been a wealth of information. I am so grateful to talk to you today. It's been so great to, to gather your insights and learn from you. Is there anything uh, you'd like to add to today's discussion? No, I don't. I don't think so, Bibi. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's it's been a tough year, but we're a resilient community. Um, and I so appreciate your optimism, Mike, because I know for some folks it's been really hard. And and we don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we can certainly now predict a few things based on what we've learned in the last few months, and that's helpful. Um, and so we've got to kind of use that. I do think we have to, all of us as companies, as retailers, as consumers, um, stay in close communication and, and maintain that engagement so that we can continue to learn from each other um, and continue to help each other kind of be successful during this time. Yeah, 100%. We have to band together. We have to work together. As we've all learned, connectivity, working together, that's all part of being resilient, leaning on each other where we can, learning where we can, and kind of trying to like stay ahead of the curve. Things seem to be changing minute by minute, you yeah. know? Like with everything. So so it's it's really great to be up to speed and to know. And so for more information, all of our listeners, we really encourage you, please visit opsecsecurity.com. Please download their wonderful, great um, report. It's so insight driven. It's data driven. It has so many valuable insights for, for all aspects of business. We, we really encourage you to, to download that report, engage with opsecsecurity.com. For our report, you can find Licensed Global Insights, COVID-19, What Happens Next. It's available at licensedglobal.com. Nancy, thank you so much again. This has been a really great chat. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I, I've really enjoyed this and I um, I really appreciate, Bibi, the opportunity. It's been so much fun for me and something kind of new and different. And so thanks for letting me be a part of it. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you to all our listeners. Till next time, Thank you so much for listening to the Licensing Mixtape.